The Hamlet Podcast, episode 152. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. Hamlet and Horatio have been watching the gravedigger at work and Hamlet has been holding forth about the past life of a skull that's been thrown up from the open grave. It had a tongue in it. It might have been a politician or a courtier, he wonders. Horatio has been smiling and nodding a sequence of I, my lords, letting Hamlet expound. And he continues. Why, e'en so, and now my lady worms, chapless and knocked about the mazard with a sexton spade. Here's fine revolution, and we had the trick to see it. Did these bones cost no more the breeding but to play at loggets with them? Mine ache to think on it. Hamlet is moved by the change that this skull has gone through. Regardless of who it was when it was alive, now it belongs to my lady worm. Earlier in the play, Hamlet made some grisly jokes about how a king may go a progress through the guts of a beggar. But here he seems rather more sober in his analysis. This skull is now a home for worms, now chapless. Chaps is another word for cheeks or jowls, the fleshy part of a human head. This skull no longer has these, and only the bone remains. Even that is under threat, as it is knocked about the mazard with a sexton's spade. Mazard is an obscure old word for the head, thought to be derived from a word for a goblet. If a skull was smashed and lost the top part, it might itself look like a goblet. Hamlet is moved by this progress from politician or courtier, all the way to anonymous head being whacked and thrown around by a sexton spade. Here's fine revolution, he says. Here is an impressive reversal, and we had the trick to see it. If only we had the skill to see that life must come to this. In many ways, we've been talking about death throughout the play, Hamlet is confronted with his father's ghost in Act One. He's haunted by the calls to avenge that death. He grapples with whether to be or not to be. He kills a man, and then afterwards he jokes about hiding the corpse. But now he's faced with the future, decomposition, and a total lack of respect or care, total anonymity. This is the epitome of not to be, isn't it? After so much talk, it's quite bracing that Shakespeare confronts Hamlet and us with such a thoroughly unsentimental element of death, the cold, harsh aftermath. Hamlet is moved. Did these bones cost no more the breeding but to play at loggots with them? Are these bones so worthless that all they're good for now is to use as bowling pins? Loggots was a game played with sticks or bones, The idea that this courtier's corpse has been reduced to this is shocking to Hamlet, and he says his own bones ache to think about it. Meanwhile, our gravedigger, blissfully unaware of the existential crisis that is observing his work, continues with his little song. A pickaxe and a spade, a spade, for and a shrouding sheet. Oh, a pit of clay for to be made for such a guest is meet. Once again, the clown is getting the words of the Thomas Vaux song a little bit wrong. Maybe because it's an old song, or maybe because he's making it fit his own business. Either way, the lyrics are expressly about digging a grave instead of building a house, as in the original. 
The gravedigger lists all the necessary items, a pickaxe and a spade, and then the shroud and the pit of clay, all in use now for the new guest that will soon occupy it. As he reaches the end of the verse, he throws up another skull. Hamlet all but pounces on it. There's another. Why may not that be the skull of a lawyer? Where be his quiddities now, his quillets, his cases, his tenures and his tricks? Why does he suffer this rude knave now to knock him about the sconce with a dirty shovel, and will not tell him of his action of battery? Hmm. This fellow might be, in his time, a great buyer of land, with his statutes, his recognizances, his fines, his double vouchers, his recoveries. Is this the fine of his fines, and the recovery of his recoveries, to have his fine pate full of fine dirt? Will his vouchers vouch him no more of his purchases, and double ones too, than the length and breadth of a pair of indentures? The very conveyances of his lands will hardly lie in this box, and must the inheritor himself have no more, huh? Again, Hamlet's mind is racing through the possibilities of whose skull this might be. First he asks if it might have been a lawyer, and if so, where might all his flourishes and his legal jargon be now? Quiddities and quillets, tenures and tricks, are more alliterative and less subtle than Shakespeare would normally go for, and he links them with cases. Quiddities, quillets, cases, tenures and tricks. It rolls off the tongue, somehow combines two sets of three, and sounds just like the kind of rhetorical showmanship that a flashy lawyer might display. For all that, Hamlet asks, how can this lawyer be allowing this rude knave to smack him in the head with his dirty shovel, and how is this lawyer not suing him for assault and battery? Why does he suffer this rude knave now to knock him about the sconce with a dirty shovel, and will not tell him of his action of battery? The second quarter actually says mad knave instead of rude, and mad continues to be a word that will be used in this scene, but rude seems simpler. Hum, he says, and perhaps he has a little think before he ponders another possibility for this skull's identity. Perhaps he might have been a great buyer of land, Hamlet wonders. If he thought quiddities and quillets were bad, he suggests that the landowner would have been armed with statutes, recognizances, fines, double vouchers and recoveries. The language throughout this little section is all to do with property laws and ownership. It's worth bearing in mind that Hamlet has been disinherited by Claudius and that we've had it established since all the way back in the very first scene of the play that there's a shaky truce between Norway and Denmark that also has to do with land and its ownership. All of this language is quite finicky, and if you're very eager, you can find a brief explanation of all of these terms in the show notes for this episode. The list shows that Hamlet is quite well versed in property law, but is also just a setup. Now he moves on to question what it's all come to. Is this, the state of the poor skull, the fine of his fines? Hamlet is testing the various meanings of the word, which derives from the Latin for end. This is also where we get the word final. Fine means something paid in punishment or in payback. So, is this the end of this landowner's life? Is this the payback for everything? Is this the recovery of his recoveries, the return on his investment, to have his fine pate full of fine dirt? 
we're getting even more definitions of fine to boot. Fine as in delicate or well-crafted for his skull or his pate, and fine as in finely powdered, the dirt that now fills that fine skull. There's an awful lot of room for an actor to explore here. Is Hamlet rueful, broken-hearted, sombre, or just being very playful here? The jokes are clever, and they're certainly erudite, but they're a little too cold to be hilarious. Hamlet can't seem to stop the line of questioning. Will his vouchers vouch him no more of his purchases and double ones too than the length and breadth of a pair of indentures? Will all of his agreements and purchases and promises secure any more land than the area one of his contracts might cover on the ground? I think this is one of the most complicated lines in the play. Understandably, in performance, it's very often cut. But it's suggesting that in death, despite everything, this landowner that he's imagined is left with little more than the square footage that might be covered by a single contract. Now, indenture is actually quite an interesting word. These were legal documents, and the practice was that two copies of an agreement would be made on a large single sheet of paper. This page would then be cut in two with a jagged, unique pattern, which would guarantee authenticity, since the two pages would only fit together in that pattern. Here Hamlet is suggesting that now this landowner is reduced to occupying little more than the amount of ground that such a double voucher, or a pair of indentures, this presumably larger sheet of paper, could cover. Not only that, the very conveyances of his lands would hardly lie in this box, and must the inheritor himself have no more. All the scrolls and legal certificates of this imaginary landowner would barely fit in this box, or coffin, and now the poor inheritor gets to occupy nothing more than his coffin. All of that information and imaginative wordplay did technically end in a question, just a little huh to Horatio. Yet again, Horatio has a kind of indulgent, calm answer for his friend. Not a jot more, my lord. I have to say the bones of my own skull are beginning to ache with the intensity of Hamlet's thinking, so we might leave it there for this episode, and we'll continue next week. You'll be relieved or delighted to know that in it, Hamlet will make first contact with the clown. Until then, do be sure to check out the website, thehamletpodcast.com, for the show notes that accompany this and every episode. As always, I'm very grateful for your support and your company, and I'll speak to you next time.